0: Smash them all up, put them in a little bit of apple cider, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's good to be here today. I'm so grateful for my church family. I'm grateful for every single one of you, and I hope you know that. It is an honor and a privilege for my wife and I, and I know I I can speak on behalf of Pastor Chase to say it's a privilege for us to be here to serve you and to serve God. So thank you. Thank you for your appreciation of us. And I just want to I want you to know that. It's very biblical what you just did. It's extremely biblical to honor the minister of God. If you read the book of excuse me, I'm forgetting it. it's either first or second Timothy. It talks about it and it talks about giving gifts. Not because we're special or greater, but because of the calling that's been placed on our lives. And so I thank you for being a biblical church and following God's word. And I promise you, please listen to me, I promise you, that blessing comes upon you because of your faithfulness to God's word. This is just one aspect of many avenues of faithfulness to God. So thank you. We're, we're so honored for that. Well, I thank you as well for uh, just being such a great church and In my absence, as I was away uh, on a special trip with my father, Um, and it was a really, really, really good time. And I was able to really receive a lot of clarity and vision for the entirety of the year of 2021 for our church. Uh, So while I'll say this way, the skeleton of 2021 is formed. We just need to now as a board work on uh, the the muscles now and and all the other sinews and all that. But um, I'm excited because God just spoke and he worked especially for today's message. Um, Today's message, we're going to be concluding our series that we've been through over the last few weeks called Freestyle. Mm -hmm. And again, for those, if, if you haven't been able to pick up on it by now, the purpose that we want you to have gleaned from these weeks going through this series has simply been this, to show the foe your word flow. Because every single one of us Have a flow, and we've got to make sure that that flow comes from the Word of God. How are we able to respond to adversity and persecution and problems? If your source isn't the Word, you've got a different flow. You've got a source that isn't able to properly, in righteousness and in truth, speak into the situation that you're in. And so the purpose of this series has been for you to recognize that you've got a particular spiritual muscle that you need to flex. And the only way you're going to be able to flex it is if you exercise it. And that comes from knowing the word of God. And week after week, we've looked at certain individuals in Scripture who have exhibited a strong spiritual muscle of word flow. So today, as we conclude this series, um, my, my title for you. That, that I want you to really dwell on and think about today is this. Traditions. Treasures or traps? We're in a season where tradition is prevalent, and rightly so. I don't think that's a bad thing. We're heading into the Thanksgiving holiday this, this week, and then we got Christmas. You know, most people aren't even thinking about Thanksgiving right now. Um, I'm partial because I really like Thanksgiving because all the food for it, um, I just, I like it and what it represents. I mean, Christmas, I eat good too, but I'm just saying there's something special about Thanksgiving. So I'm looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to Christmas. My wife loves Thanksgiving, but she's already kind of jumping the gun and going to Christmas. Where's Esther? Esther, I know you already got your, you got your lights, you got everything up. You're posting all over Facebook. So I, I don't know about all of you, but you know, you, wherever you can, you can be wherever you want. And that the bottom line is this is a season that is so traditional for especially Americans. You know, you could be Christian, non-Christian. We just know we're all on the same page, usually in this area. Now, is it a bad thing to have traditions? No. Traditions are not bad. But today, we're going to carefully look at a portion of Scripture that helps us understand that traditions do and can become either treasures or traps that hurt us rather than help us. So I got, I got some stuff up here for you just to help illustrate my point before we get into the word this morning. Um, while you're looking at these things, um, I, I don't know what's going through your mind. Right here we got a little bit of ibuprofen, some you know over-the-counter painkillers pain or whatever. Uh, right here we got some Pepsid for all of my heartburn, acid, reflux people right here. This is the magic pill right there. It got, it got the cumin got the flavor, that, ooh, that tastes good. None of that berry stuff. And then right here, we got apple cider vinegar. All right. All right. Hold, hold up on this one for a second. All right. You got some pain in your joints. You got a headache. This is, this is the magic stuff right here, right? And doctors can prescribe this, especially if you have a fever It helps bring down swelling. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's it's good for you in doses and in short periods of time. Prolonged usage of this can cause serious stomach problems, serious kidney problems, serious liver problems. It's a temptation every time you get a headache or every time you're sore, just pop a few ibuprofen. I'm a big guy. I'll take one more than the recommended dosage. I'm saying I do. All right. Pepsid. For those of you who don't know, I've had a problem with acid. Pretty much started when I was a freshman in college, believe it or not. 18, 19, whatever I was. Uh, And especially over the last three years, it got really bad. We're talking just like battery acid up in here that I thought was going to burn a hole in my throat. Um, People thought I was going to be a smoker or something like that because I was going to have the hole in my throat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But I had to start taking this because I was told it was the least uh, impacting in a negative way on your body than, say, a Nexium or stronger drugs like that. And and let me tell you something, it works. It really, really, really works. Uh, But for those of you who don't know, which I think most of you do, I like to eat. And I like to eat the stuff that this keeps down, the pizza, the cookies, the brownies, the cakes, the quarts of ice cream in one sitting, the strombolis. I'm I'm speaking some of your language, the lasagnas, the loaves of bread, lathered in butter. Taking one further, a little bit of salt on top. I do that. This is supposed to have a problem. Listen to me, that I have no power over. But did you hear how I just shared my lifestyle with you? That sounds like something I got power over. That I have choices over. But can I tell you something? This went from being a temporary help to a permanent solution. And I continued to eat... Cook, I dream about cookies. I'm not kidding. I dream about cookies. Chocolate chip. No, not ah, chips. Ahoy. Homemade. Homemade. All right. Chips. Ahoy. It's offensive to me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like chips too. Um, I started using this as a means to justify unhealthy living. And sure enough, by getting acquainted with a chiropractor who also has a nutritionist in the building, told me, I want you to go see him because you're how old and you're taking this daily? And I go and I see this nutritionist and I show this to him and he goes, throw that garbage out of here. Do you have any idea what prolonged use to this kind of drug leads to? Osteoporosis, dementia, Alzheimer's, colon cancers you name it. And it's a drug that hasn't been on the market that long, so now these things are starting to come out. He says, it's good for somebody who just needs to kickstart something for six weeks maximum. I've been taking it consecutively for three years. He says, you need to get your eating right. After I told him all my problems, I was like, I know that's the problem. And he goes, we got to shock your system. And that's where this bad boy came into play. He had some other things. He had baking soda in there too, but... I've noticed this really is, is the, the, if I can say, the magic juice right here. It's disgusting. It burns. It burns worse going down than acid does coming up. But can I tell you that probably a week of taking this has done so much to help this gut health than this ever did. You want to know what this did? This masked a problem. And allowed me to continue to live a lifestyle that was detrimental to me in the long run, but I had looked at it as a means to free me to live the way that I want to. No strings attached, no judgment. I can eat whatever I want. I really wasn't even thinking that, but I can, t- can I tell you, that really was the truth. The minute I got off of this and had to adjust my eating and then add something disgusting that I hated but I knew was helpful to me, I started to get perspective on the fact that I had allowed a habit, or let me say it this way, that something that for three years became traditional for me to partake of on a daily basis that I thought was a help to me but was actually hurting me. And I didn't realize until I had cut it out of my life and added something that I don't really like but has unbelievably profound health benefits for my life. It caused me to change up my traditions. Mm -hmm. It caused me to get perspective that while this at one point I looked at as a treasure became a trap. There are so many things that we as people. As Americans, and I mean, you look around this room, we have so many different cultures, ethnicities, you got diversity of your family upbringing, different genders, there's so much uniqueness in this room. And so all of us bring a different flavor to the table of who we are, of our story, of our life. And so when we start talking about traditions, I want you to understand they can be treasures. Or they can be traps. Every year for for the last over decade, my grandparents fly out from Washington this time every year. They would have been here already. And we have a great Thanksgiving. My grandfather, one of my biggest mentors in my life as a pastor, the missionary. Because of my grandmother's extremely rapidly declining health, they can't come out this year. And I realized, wow, it's having a big effect on me. Like, well, I don't get to see my grandfather this year. He lives all the way in Washington. I can't just drive out and see him a two-hour drive. How do I handle that? How can it become? It was a treasure. There was nothing wrong with it. But will I allow the absence of it to lead to something that will become a trap? I know there there are going to be a lot of implications that are going to be very unique to you as individuals as we talk about this message today that i'm not going to be able to cover i'm not going to be able to hit every point of application for you particularly you've got to hear the word of god this morning and you need to listen you need to be so open in your stomach yeah. it, deep down inside where you can say god work this out open my eyes let me be willing to be open To call out, maybe it's something that I really love and I do not want to give up, but you have called it out today that that's a trap. Or maybe it's a treasure. That's where it's going to be between you and God this morning. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse 1, Jesus has an encounter with the famous opponents, the Pharisees, and when you study the book of Matthew, you'll see that the majority of Jesus's interactions are with the Pharisees. It's just like again and again and again and again, because Matthew, the writer of this book, was Jewish, and Pharisees were the the, the big Jewish leaders along with the Sadducees and the scribes, but the Pharisees, man, they were the guys who had tradition after tradition after tradition after tradition. Some of them We're treasures, and some of them, as we're going to see, we're traps. Now, verse 1, Jesus, we read, has an encounter with the Pharisees. And you need to to know that this wasn't just an okay interaction where they were just curious. They were out for blood, okay? So let's read verses 1 and 2, say this. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Parents, you're not going to like where I am going with this sermon today. You're not going to like it. Grandparents, you're not going to like where I'm going with this sermon today. So right here we see the stage is set and the scene, the what goes on between Jesus and these Pharisees. The Pharisees who are out for blood along with the teachers of the law, or more specifically the scribes, they were like experts in the law, not necessarily in their, in their interpretation of the law and how to apply it like a Pharisee, or I don't want to liken myself to a Pharisee, but a pastor does with the word of God. The scribes, they were the ones who, my Bible quizzers in the house, they were kind of like Bible quizzers who word for word knew the word. They wrote it down. That, that's what they did. That's what their their jobs were. So they knew what you can be like article five, section six quoted. It. There it is. So they came loaded. The Pharisees who didn't just interpret how the law was appla- ought to be applied were there. They came saying, you know, we got the guys who know it better than anybody else here. And they could quote it. All right. And they come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, teacher. You who are going around and and teaching the gospel, teaching the word of God. We got one for you. And they call him out. And listen, they're calling him out as a teacher. Because they're not addressing something that Jesus is doing. They're addressing something that his disciples, his followers are doing. Which in turn is a huge moment of disrespect. Because Jesus is the one who had influence over the disciples. So if they were doing something wrong, the Pharisees are saying, it's your fault. Wh- which, listen, that's not, that's not a wrong assessment. That's, that's, that's true to a degree. Now here is specifically their gripe with Jesus. They say, Jesus every time we see your disciples eating they refuse to follow and I love they kind of tip their own hat the tradition of the elders so they don't even appeal to the law they appeal to an amendment or an additional law that was man-made and not God inspired see the tradition of the elders um, was something that was developed In the intertestamental period of of scripture, which I'm not going to get into, that was an interpretation of the word of God, of the Mosaic law. And the Pharisees specifically were the ones who were instituted and developed. You look read in the Old Testament, there's no such thing as Pharisees. They weren't there. You had the Levitical tribe, the priests, that's it. Where did Pharisees come from? Well, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a period of we're we're in captivity where we're we're, go- we're trying to go back to our land, but some are still back in captivity. What do we do? We don't have a temple to worship at. So what do we do with certain laws like making sacrifices in the temple of Jerusalem? They had rebuilt it, but there was just so much that they didn't know what to do with in order to be faithful servants of God. So the Pharisees were developed to be interpreters of the law, which was a good thing, wasn't a bad thing. But then they superseded their own authority and they started to develop all of these different practices. Specifically, we see in Exodus chapter 30, if you want to write this down, it's not going to be up on the screen. Exodus 30, 17 through 21. Here in this part of the Pentateuch, we see a specific command that God gave to Moses saying, you are to craft a bronze basin and a bronze stand. And that basin is to be used, listen, by the descendants of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood to cleanse themselves before they participated in sacrificial sacrifices in honor of me. They're the ones to do it. The Pharisees saw this and said, everybody should do it. And, and you know, again, I don't know what their motivation back was when they first developed it. It might have been out of sincerity, like, hey, it's good for them. Why not all of us be ceremonial clean? But the bottom line was the Pharisees had now developed into a group of very hard-nosed individuals that decided that they had the right to impose their own interpretation which was wrong of scripture on everybody else listen you might be here today and you might have a personal conviction based on something in scripture that you read maybe about the way that you dress to church but unless it clearly is defined in scripture that it's something that the entirety of the body of christ ought to be doing you have no right to impose that upon somebody else you don't that's what the pharisees were doing in this moment or they had been doing for a long time and they come to jesus say, and hey jesus And they come to him under the presupposition that they have a sense of authority that cannot be challenged or contradicted. And they say, Jesus, your disciples are not following the tradition of the elders, our traditions. The Pharisees identified their command as having the same authority as God's command. Listen to me. Here's my first point. Be careful. Be careful that you don't impose God's command for you on someone else. Don't. You have no right. Now that gets murky and that gets difficult because then you need to know the word of God. Because there are words that are to be held as a standard for all of us that you do have the right to say, hey, listen. This is how we ought to live, and if you're not going to live that way, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. Or for me as a pastor or a board, there are going to be things that we need to impose as the leadership of the church that if some don't want to follow, we're going to, you know, listen, this is something that is so far away, but the Bible does specifically not give room but command that there comes a point where excommunication is needed for a church. Listen, there's nobody here today where I'm not even going down that route. I just, you need to know. You need to know we are a loving church, but sometimes we need to show tough love. Right. And that means we need to say, hey, you know what? You're doing something that's hurting yourself. That's right. So we got to speak truth. All right. Scripture commands or, or let me say this way. Scriptural commands ought to be understood. I'm going to talk about this for a second. Scriptural commands ought to be understood as seasonally situational, not sequential. You got to think about that for a second. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, there are specifically two particular words that we would translate for time. So there's time that we have in this world. We check our clocks. We're always looking at what time is it? Do I have time for this? You know, I don't have time for this. Uh, Is it time yet for us to go? Time is so important for us, especially as Americans. You know, everything revolves around it. Well, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there are two specific words, at least in the Greek language, that have their common forms in the Hebrew language as well, that are, I'll say them for you, there's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos is the idea of sequence. It's almost the idea of time on a calendar. I have my appointment, it's what's coming next in my week, I got to stick to it, I got to follow it. But that's really more of the American version of it. Really, the, the ancient Near Eastern understanding of Kronos is more just historical facts. It happened on this day at this time. So it's still sequenced, but it's not as intensely definite as we try to make it. That's the kind of time that we follow. But what about Ecclesiastes, which says there is a time, or another translation says there is a season for everything. The idea of, Kairos gives us this understanding that time goes beyond sequence but also invades our lives as seasons. When we are trying to grapple with the entirety of this written word and say, God, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to walk? How do you want me to be sanctified? How do you want me to be obedient? How God, how am I to be who you want me to be in this season right now of my life. Let me give you an example of one that's not right. We see in the New Testament the story of a man who was rich young, the rich young ruler. And we see he was, for the most part, a devout man. And he hears about Jesus, and he comes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I've done this, this, and this in obedience to your word. What else ought I to do to be obedient, to live for God? Jesus looks at him and he's pleased with him. And they have a little bit of a, you know, he says, What what does the law say? And he quotes and Jesus, is like, You got it, man. You're good. Well, the only and this is this is just a legitimate moment of of Jesus giving true discipleship. There's no undertones of well, we'll see. There, there's no sarcasm, no nothing. Jesus like, you're doing good, man. Let me tell you the obvious next step in your discipleship walk. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor. Why? Why would Jesus say that to this man? Because his wealth owned him. All right, that, that, that's, that's, we all know that story for the most part. And we say, yep, that's, that, that's, that's what Jesus was getting at. And the man went away sad, broken, and Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and he was just so frustrated because he saw this man with so much desire to serve the Lord, but as soon as Jesus hit something that was greater in his life than God, his world was over. How can you ask me to give that up? Th- that, that's the ultimate idea of the story, but l- let me put it in context of what we're talking about. We as followers of Jesus are now trying to say what's the next step for me in my faith walk like this man was. We read a story like this and maybe you're, you're here and you're saying I've got my addictions under control. Uh, I'm reading my Bible. But then maybe you're here and you don't have a problem with, with being greedy. At least with money. Maybe you don't got a lot of money. But l- okay, we all got some money. But maybe you're here and you just don't have a problem. Your wealth doesn't own you. But someone in your life Or you yourself read this and you say, that's the next step. I have to go and sell everything I have. Question, why didn't Jesus say that to Peter? Why didn't he go around and teach that to everybody else? Now, obviously, Scripture doesn't give us every single detail of the accounts that Jesus gave. It was a season that was situational. It does not mean that that word is not absolute and doesn't apply to all of us, but it depends on the season of life that we're in. And we've got to be so careful that we do not go around saying, you want to know what the next step for you is? You ought to blank. When maybe that person isn't going through that at all, but you're putting A burden on them that God has no desire to be on their heart. And then they walk away feeling condemned because they say, I just don't get it. I don't struggle with that. I don't think I have a problem with that. But so and so said that I have a problem with it. So now what am I to do? God, where are you? And you make them hate God more than when before you approach them about it. Let me give you one more example. You have the adulterous woman in John, I think it's chapter 8. I love that story. It's one of my favorite stories of the forgiveness of Jesus. You have the story of this woman who was caught in adultery, and the men of the town catch her in the act. We kind of see it literally in scripture. Leave the dude alone for whatever reason. Drag her out into the streets, and they all pick up stones, and they're ready to stone her, and they say to Jesus, the law of Moses commands us that we stone this woman. What do you say? And we know the amazing, beautiful story of Jesus looking, he, well, he gets onto the ground and he just starts drawing. We don't know what he's drawing. They get mad and impatient. Like, come on, man. What are you, what are you making this time so trivial for? Finally, he looks around at them and he says, if any one of you is without sin, you get to throw a stone. Mm-hmm. You ever sinned? Oh, no, nobody's here perfect. They all drop their stones and they walk away. And we love that, right? And that's beautiful, right? Yeah. But the last part of that story is so imperative for us not to miss. The woman goes and has an interaction with Jesus. And Jesus looks at her and says, Woman, where are your accusers? They've all left. Oh, that's so beautiful because it gives us the story of that nobody is perfect and we ought not to condemn anybody. And Jesus is the only perfect one. And yet he doesn't even condemn her because he says, Then neither do I condemn you. And we love that. But what's the last few words that he says? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. This story is a beautiful story of a person that was sinning. Yes. There is no qu- we love looking at the forgiveness, which is important, but we got to be real. She was doing some wrong stuff. She was sleeping around with so many different guys, yes. and even according to the Mosaic Law, they were fulfilling the Mosaic Law because it said, "You stone an adulteress." But Jesus, who fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, said, "No, I choose." To be the justification for her punishment and I absolve her of those sins. So he silenced the accusers, but he didn't say, all right, you're free. You're clear. Go ahead. Go back to your life. He says, there is this matter of sin that I have absolved you of. But now I command you go and sin no more. Okay. So here we see a story of an individual that had persecution and pain and adversity come upon her because of sin. And sometimes we talk about that a lot in the church. You, you know, let's be real. Sometimes you might be going through something in your life right now because of sin. We don't like to hit that a lot, but according to this story, it's true. But Pastor Chase talked about a very significant individual in Scripture last week, Job. Whose friends came to him and said, you have no right to be mad against God because you are a sinner. There's got to be sin in your life. There's no other explanation. It's sin. That's why you lost everything, Job. So stop your pouting. Repent before God. He's like, I didn't do anything. I was. I, God himself said, he's a righteous man. So what do you do with that? This is why it's so important for us to understand this aspect of of what the word of God commands for us. It's absolute throughout all time for all people. But we need to understand the point of application doesn't come sequentially for everybody at a particular time. So there might be somebody who's like Job, who is righteous, who's going through some stuff, and we might be tempted to say, well, obviously, according to Scripture, you're living in sin. And we've misapplied Scripture, and we've now placed on them this burden of inescapable condemnation that they're never going to be able to escape, because they think they're doing something wrong when the reality is they aren't. Or vice versa. When somebody is sinning, but we just want to say, God, he's a gracious God, he's a good God, you've got nothing to worry about. Just, you know, wait for him to show up. No. This is a trap right now that you're using to justify a particular lifestyle that's hurting you. Let's be real. Yes. It's se- situationally seasonal. Yes. All right? And again, I say that, and I hope you understood it, because you've got to be careful with taking that. Because then you might want to take the Bible and pick and choose which ones work for you and which don't. That's not how it works. It applies to everyone. You need to be humbly submissive to the discernment of the Holy Spirit who will convict you, who will show you. You might not like it. We n- you rarely ever do. But that's where he shows them and says, this is what you need right now. Let it work in your life. All right. That, that's the big picture of the response, the question, the antagonizing, goading, persecutor, persecutor, that's not even a word, I don't know. Question of persecution <laughs> towards Jesus. Let's look at Jesus' response. Verse 3. Jesus replied, and why do you, notice this, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of Your tradition, not the elders tradition, your tradition for God said, underline this honor. God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not. To, here it is again, underlined it honor their father or mother with it. This right here, this is the thesis of this, this whole section. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. The second point that I want to make to you, church, this morning is this. Traditions become traps when they serve you at the expense of another's well-being. We get so caught up in thinking this is a beautiful thing that I do, that I love, that I got to hold firm. It's, It's good for me. Maybe it's even good for my spouse or my kids. But this is where I think America gets it really messed up, all right? Listen, our family are not just the people that we live with. I need, I need you to understand because you're going to hear this for as long as I'm alive and I'm in this church building as your pastor. When you look around this room, we are family. Yes, we, are. Yes, we, are. we are family. Yes, we are. This is the Bible. Bo- Jesus Christ, when he was teaching individuals later in this book, or pre I can't remember, it's either before or after in Matthew in this section, they say, hey, Jesus, your family's here. And in that moment, Jesus says, who are my mother and my brother and sisters and my mothers? Those who do the work of God. He was making a point. It wasn't that they weren't his blood family and he didn't love them. Yes, he did. He was making a point saying, understand something. My family is everybody that is present that does the work of God. We miss that sometimes for the sake of our western mindset, our perspective on culture that we have. Jesus in this question towards the Pharisees doesn't even get down to their level and say, you know, and and give this long argument against everything. He just responds again with another question that really is a sucker punch to him. And he says, all right, you're coming at me with this, but let me do you one better. What about these commands in Scripture? See, you came to me with a command that was illegitimate because it was a command based on human rules. It was a command that case came from what was developed by your elders. Let me do you one better. Let me give you the actual word of God. And it's from the books of, book of Exodus. We see seen in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, and the Lord for this is right. And you will enjoy long life. Children, obey your parents, and the Lord for this is right. And he focuses on that one. And then he also jumps to another scripture that's from Leviticus and also in Deuteronomy that encapsulates this whole idea of honoring parents. Now, there was a tradition of the elders that was required for the people to give a special offering that once again was outside of the tithes of the offerings that scripture talked about. It was borderline attacks. And the Pharisees would impose this upon the people and say, you need to give this gift to the temple. But then, here comes application. What happens when you have individuals that are giving of their regular biblical tithes and offerings, and then they have barely just enough left to care for their elderly parents? This is very situational right here. Well, they come to the Pharisees and say, Pharisees, you know, I'm struggling. I am still giving, but I can't give to your traditions right here, so what should I do? Well, there's no question here, young man or young woman, you need to make sure that you give to the temple. God will take care of your parents. Don't worry about them. You give your money for this. God gave children to take care of parents when they get old. Jesus calls them out and he says, you hypocrites, you're going around imposing You're you're shackling a yoke upon these susceptible, open-minded individuals who are here to learn the way from you. And you're shackling them and imposing upon them a command that has no place in their life. And Jesus points out something very specific here. That I, I really want the weight of which to sink in. He said, God commanded honor. But you say, listen, but you say they are not to honor. He quotes that in verse four, for God said honor, jump to verse six. They are not to honor. So what Jesus is saying here, he's making a clear connection that the Pharisees cannot miss. God's word says this, you are outright forthrightly commanding the people who are coming to you for direction and discernment and how to serve God and you're telling them straight up don't honor God says honor we say don't honor you hypocrites Isaiah says and he quotes Isaiah these people they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. What was the first song that we sang today? I legitimately can't remember. Anybody remember? It was Give Thanks? Give thanks thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ. What does give thanks mean? you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Paul says that our true and proper worship is a living sacrifice humble and pleasing to God humble and pleasing to God it's a sacrifice of thanks that is given and shown to God through an obedient life. I think this is once again where we are imposing uh, a, a Western perspective on Scripture where we think it's we, we legitimately not not out of not out of uh, an illegitimate perspective, but out of an ignorant perspective, say, I just say thanks. How do you show thanks to someone? Thank you. That's customary. That's what we do in our culture. You say thank you, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in the word of God, thanks was not merely lip service. It was a response of thanks, saying, I am only where I am because you gave me the freedom and the grace to be here. So, God, I give you my life in response of thanks to you. You're going around, you Pharisees, saying your traditions are treasures that everybody else ought to experience the benefits of when really only you are. And it's a trap that's funneling these individuals down an entire life of condemnation that they'll never be able to escape from because you've destroyed their understanding of who God is. Verse 10 and 11, this is where we finish. I still got a lot to say, but 10 and 11, I got to run through it. Jesus called the crowd to him and said. Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth. Does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth. That is what defiles them. Think back to the situation at hand. The Pharisees. Interpretation of Exodus chapter 30. Where the Levites were to wash their hands before partaking of the sacrificial process, did so so that nobody else through external touch would now be unclean. So if they're clean through the ceremonial washing and everybody else partakes of the sacrifice that they prepared, everybody's clean. The Pharisees are taking this and imposing this on everybody. Wash your hands before you eat. Not because of uh, external. You don't want to get sick in germs. It was a spiritual matter. It was... We're all going to become unclean. You don't know what you touched. You live in a pagan society. You might touch things. It it almost seems like a good idea. Let me make this point to you. And I mean this spiritually, not, not physically. Uncleanliness doesn't come from external interactions, but internal reactions. Think about the things in your life that might cause you to respond in a wicked manner in that moment of anger and frustration, in that moment of jealousy because someone just got the thing that you wanted, Christmas (laughs) time. How many of you still have a little bit of that kid in you? Don't raise your hand. The uncleanliness doesn't come from our external interactions. We see this in the book of Corinthians as well. When the individuals were afraid because they're partaking, they're taking in meat that maybe had been sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, don't even think about that. That's not what makes you unclean. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. He's pretty much quoting Jesus right here. He's saying, you're so concerned about the external, and that's that's too much for one individual to be able to to understand and to live with. And Jesus reveals himself in the book of Acts to Peter, with a sheet coming down from heaven, with every animal that's unclean. And he speaks to Peter in that vision. He says, go and partake of this. Eat. God, I can't do that. A Jewish man with his Jewish understanding of the Bible, I can't. That will make me unclean. It's an external force that if it touches me, I'm unclean. Don't you call unclean what I have called clean. Now, obviously, the implications were far beyond that. That talked about interaction with individuals outside of Judaism. Saying, don't look at those Gentiles and say that, ooh, bad people, stay away from me. says, no, you're called to go to them because all are created in my image and all are called to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I've chosen you to be my instrument to let them share in that grace and not to reserve it selfishly for yourself. So stop looking at them with a perspective that is degrading of them. Uncleanliness doesn't come from external interactions, but internal reactions. Actions He says it's not about what we take in; it's about what comes out And Jesus here is saying everything has to do With a heart issue Everything has to do With the heart Because it reveals Who you serve It reveals where your allegiance lies It reveals Whether you're more concerned With A worldly culture or a kingdom Culture Holiness isn't achieved through, d- through traditions, but transformation. We might have instituted in our lives practices that we think make us closer to God. There are practices that we ought to grow closer to God simply because they transform the heart. But when we simply do those, partake of those traditions just for the sake of checking it off a list, saying, I did it, God, you're good. I read my Bible today, I'm good. What about living that word that you read What about saying, I don't want to give this up, but I read in your word that it said I needed to. So God, give me the strength to fulfill your word, to be obedient to it. Not because it makes me clean, but because it rectifies this situation that I'm in where you gave me freedom, where you washed me clean. And now out of a living sacrifice of thanks, I want to praise you by living for you. And that changes this. And it changes this. And in time, these become things that we don't need anymore. All right, all right. Let me finish by just giving you a few more examples because this is really situational, this story. I know some of us are already thinking, all right, I need to apply this. I pray to God at least that there are moments right here through this message that you said, yep, pastor, I hear that word and I know something that I got I to work on. But le- let me be a little bit more Specific in some ways that at least we personally and definitely as a church need to be aware of examples of treasures that actually become traps The first one is this thinking that a social gathering is the same as a spiritual gathering I'm going to be very real. We're a small church and I love that But a big temptation that i've seen growing up in the church And being exposed to a number of large and small churches is that our greatest strength can become our greatest pitfall where everything is just about a social get-together. Listen, we ought to love each other. We're a community with Jesus as the predominating factor that draws us together. We ought to laugh together. We ought to cry together. But it's all within the context of serving Jesus. If he is removed from the focal point of that, and we're just saying, no, pastor, we got to meet, we got to have a potluck, we got to have this service, we got to do this. Why? why? I mean, I love you too, but if it's not for Jesus then it's just something that, that we are masquerading around and we're, we're giving it a stamp of approval saying, God says this, oh, hold on, hold on. We see that problem in 1 Corinthians 11 during the practice of communion. We see the church, they're coming together in a social gathering, specifically with the purpose of serving Jesus and commemorating his sacrifice through the communion and the supper, And then Paul calls them out and he says, you're 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 more here for a social gathering because the haves are having a good time at the expense of the have nots. And you got the poor people outside and you're saying, no, you're a part, but you stay out there. You got to stay in the foyer. We're going to stay in the dining room and here because it was about a social gathering. And they will talk about politics and everything else in the name of Jesus, in the name of the church. We can't do that, and we won't do that. Listen, so I'm speaking to you. There's going to be a lot of things that you as a church, myself included, I'm in this as well, that we're just going to want to do because it seems like a really good idea, and it might be a great idea. But if it's simply a social gathering, and it's not with a spiritual purpose, we're not doing it. That's when a tradition becomes a trap and no longer a treasure. Number two, having a good idea at the expense of a God's idea having a good idea at the expense of God's idea. That's when a tradition becomes a trap. Another example of this, book of Exodus, the story of Moses going up to the mountain of God to receive the commandments of God, which were for the benefit of the people, and they were commanded to be patient and wait and not to come near the mountain. After a little over a month, they get impatient, and they complain to Aaron, and they say, Aaron, Moses is probably dead. Probably got eaten by a wild animal, who knows what. We need to worship a god. This is interesting because they weren't they weren't taking more of a uh, again what we would do is no god. Only thing that you have to think is the sweat of your brow and, and your own intellect and your own logic. You got yourself through that. That's not what's happening. They wanted to worship God, but they wanted to worship a god in a way that they could define their worship of him. They wanted to put worship in their own comprehension of a box that was comfortable for them, saying, we need to worship something and we're tired of waiting. So Moses, here's the plunder that God gave us. Melt it, make a calf and worship that. God says, Moses, you better get down there and put your people in place because I'm about to lose it on them. It seems like a good idea at the time. It seems like Hey, at least we're worshiping. At least we're doing something. In that situation, waiting is better than something. God says, just wait. Just wait because you're about to bite off more than you can chew. You're about to step somewhere you shouldn't step. Wait. You might have a good idea. Your family might say it's a good idea. Your horoscope might tell you it's a good idea. It's not God's idea. And then I kind of mentioned this, but the last last one that's kind of broad is this this idea when culture replaces kingdom. Traditions become a trap when culture replaces kingdom. I was privileged, truly privileged, to grow up in a pastoral household in this northeast region, specifically this tri-state area, where we are the most diverse people in the whole nation. Coming from somebody who spent a lot of time out west, I'm telling you, we are diverse. It was awkward for a white boy to go to a place with mostly white people. Because I'm not used to that. (laughs) All my brothers married ethnic ladies. There's no white girls other than my mom and my family. So I'm just saying like. (laughs) It's just what we were exposed to growing up. What's normal for us. My father being a presbyter at one point had oversight of a number of churches. That were all I mean my, my parents church it's in an inner city spot. We didn't, we didn't go to church in the suburbs. I mean, this is more suburban for me in this church than the church I grew up in. As a presbyter, that was our area of New Jersey, and we went to inner-city churches. I was exposed to so much that was just normal for me as a kid. And so I saw a beautiful array of different cultures, different ethnicities, their particular forms of worship, how they loved God, how they served him. It was beautiful. I've seen a lot in black churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches, from, from Chinese to North Korean to Filipino churches to a bunch of white churches. I've seen a lot and been exposed to a lot. And I'm, I'm just using this as an example to let you understand that while there are beautiful aspects of culture that influenced the way that we worship God that isn't wrong there are ones that can be wrong specifically there was a gathering at one point as a young kid that I saw some crazy stuff happening and I saw uh my father address it in a kind of like calling something out we had a a a formerly appointed pastor that was once a voodoo doctor Uh, Come into the service and start employing those practices not not out of an evil intent But simply it's what he knew It was normal to him and my dad had to bring correction say listen That that's not a culture thing that that's a that's bad. You cannot convolute the two So I just use that as an example to help you understand that there are going to be aspects Where we as the body of christ cannot allow culture as beautiful as it is to trump kingdom. to to supersede kingdom. And how do we know that? It's not going to be based on what I like because I'm a white man that has a specific upbringing that's going to be different from everybody else in this room because of a number of things. So it's not going to be from me. That's why we got a great board. It's going to be what God's word says. And we're going to do the best with what we have to be faithful to what God's word says we ought to be. So those are just a few, in conclusion, a few broad examples and you might have some examples you might have some very specific aspects of your life that you need to apply directly based on this word that i would encourage you to be obedient to so in conclusion let's talk about our final flow every week we give a final flow that ought to be understood as a response given to the persecution to the adversity through the temptation that the enemy the adversary satan and his forces try to bring against you in a moment of truth, and a moment of pain, and a moment of uncertainty, and this is the flow that we want you to respond when that adversity comes. Here it is. Tradition is only a treasure when it tethers me and God together. Tradition is only a treasure when it tethers me and God together. I don't want any of you to walk out of here thinking that traditions are bad. They are good if they tether you and God together. If they don't, this is where you got to do some serious spring cleaning in the middle of November or almost this and say, God, you know, there are some things that I love. Help me. Show me through your word. Is this edifying? Is this drawing me and my children and my grandchildren and my spouse and my brothers and my sisters closer to you? Or is it just something that I want to live? This is something that I want to experience at the expense of others' well-being, but I'm not willing to admit that because it's so good for me, so obviously it's got to be good for everybody else. That's where we got to be careful. So remember, when it comes to tradition and the enemy might be working to try and get you to make it used for an illegitimate manner so it's no longer a treasure but a trap, you say, hey, enemy tradition is only a treasure when it tethers me and God together. That's when that tradition has a place in my life. That's when I will use it to serve God. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand up on your feet this morning. We're going to conclude. I got, I got so much that I'm just excited for. I have, listen, I'm not going to tell you what, but I have two big announcements coming up next week. So if you want to know what they are, you've got to be here to hear them, or you've got to log in online and watch. Uh, but I'm excited to share them with you about some things that we have coming up that are going to be big for us as a church. So next week, we'll talk about that. This Wednesday, we're having our Bible study, but we're also going to have a time for us to share testimonies together as a family saying thank you to our God for all the good things that he has done. So if you're in town, if you're not already traveling, I want to invite you coming out. We're finishing up a series through anxiety and depression, an incredible series, uh, and we'll be praying about that and just thanking God. But that being said, let's just thank God and ask for his blessing as we leave this place. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've learned from your word. We thank you for the work that your word has been doing and do in us when we leave this place. God, I pray, I pray that we would be willing to go with a through through everything with a with a fine tooth comb and just be willing to to just weed out anything in our lives that isn't helping us grow closer and tethering us to you, God. Lord, maybe there are traditions that really came from an illegitimate place in our life that we like for the sake of doing, but are hurting us. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to confess our need of you to give us illumination in our lives. Help us to be willing to call out something in our lives that's hurting us. Something in our lives that might make us feel good, but it's hurting others. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the God that you are. I thank you for the God that we can depend on you to be the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. Lord, I thank you that you uphold the integrity of your word. And you will not allow any human tradition or man-made rule to supersede the authority of that word. I thank you that you are strong and you are not afraid to call your children out when wrong is being done. I'm grateful that you're not afraid to call me a hypocrite when I'm being a hypocrite. I thank you that you're not afraid to just say in the middle of my worship that I'm just giving you lip service because I'm willing to say, Jesus, I love you and Jesus, thank you for the cross, but I live a life that scorns the cross. I live a life that daily re-crucifies you. Lord, I thank you that you're not afraid to call me for what I am at times. But I thank you that nonetheless, you are a gracious God. And in spite of that, you still welcome me with open arms. You still forgive me in spite of my biggest shortcoming and my biggest betrayal, Lord. That's the kind of God that you are. So Lord, I pray that you would Lead us to live live for your glory to the fullest extent that you have created us to. Would we remember that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works? Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you for this day. Be with us as we leave this place. Watch over us. I pray that you would help those traveling, keep them safe, keep them free from any sickness, Jesus, and to have a good, healthy, wholesome time with family. Would they be salt and light not afraid to share Jesus Christ in their speech and in their conduct. So, Lord, we commit all these things to you. And in Jesus' mighty name, all of God's people say amen, amen, amen. amen. Give God praise this morning. Jesus, thank you. Well, God.